0: hello hi welcome back to make a modern i'm ashley and i'm kelsey and if you're new here we talk about old shit and what it would be like in modern times that we do I'm going to apologize in advance. I haven't been sleeping super great, so I feel like half of my brain is just, like, asleep currently. <laughs> Dude, I don't know if it's, it's like, like... a weird haze.
1: If it's, like, astrologically weird out, but same. I literally was so tired last night. I went to bed at, like, 9.30, which, if anybody knows me as a human being, that's uh, weird. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I woke up at, like, 11.30 super hungry, and I'm at my parents' house, so I, like, went down to get some food... And I did not get back to bed until five in the morning. And I was so drained this morning and I still am. So I think there must just be like, I mean, I know there's a full moon coming up. So maybe we blame it on that. (laughs) It's
0: just a really weird time. And then I I woke up this morning and I was mad at myself because I was like, oh, no, you put that in the dryer, the shirt that I had just gotten. Uh, My dad got me this like brand new. It was a rugby polo for Drake. Because I went to the bookstore last week and I was super excited because they made it to the basketball tournament, but um, uh, the match madness. But it was it was a rough weekend. Anyways, yeah, we're I, not talking about that. I don't want to. Uh, and so um, it was dried, but a fucking pen exploded, no. and I have ink over. No, it could have been way worse, um, because I had so much shit in the dryer. Only several pieces of items uh really kind of soaked it up. Oh, but okay. the shirt being one of them on, like, the white collar. No. And it was, like, a $50 shirt. So I'm just kind of bummed. Um, I'm going to figure it out. But I came home from work today, and I, like, was cleaning – trying to clean out my dryer, too, because I know I wanted to get the ink stains off. But I, I have been letting the shirt sit. I got to figure it out. But, um, yeah, that was kind of a bummer. But um, I would also just like to mention – my bracket is busted um there's been a lot of upsets in march madness and uh i think the big 10s really overrated and i can't believe i put my faith in them because they all fell they
1: all yeah that was not a great decision i have sworn off brackets ever since the stanley cup championships in i think it was 2019 or whatever where i guessed the opposite of everything that happened (laughs) like legitimately every single if it was like worst bracket competition i would have won millions like <laughs> i literally
0: guess
1: everyone like
0: <laughs> i live for upsets like marriage madness like basketball is like top saver for sport. like i love baseball yeah yeah but i love college basketball it's so much fun to want and as like an mm-hmm. like a drake fan my entire life getting the tournament was fucking awesome and um it was super cool especially because we won one game after like the 2008 heartbreak whatever but so i love watching upsets and um what I didn't bank on was all these 16 seed teams upsetting everyone. Like usually yeah. there's like one or two to maybe three, but I just am blown away. So my, my family, we have a bracket, like with all our cousins and stuff. And we have like a group me and we're talking about maybe uh, <laughs> with all these upsets. Cause none of us are really, I mean, some people are still in it, but we're like, maybe we just redo like the sweet 16 with all these upsets and pick. Cause I picked Abilene Christian to beat Texas, which was like just a fun one. And everyone messaged me, they're like, why, how did you know? And I was like, I, I think I read about it somewhere, but yeah, I just like... was like, I thought it would be fun. I don't really like Texas, so I was like, I want to see them lose. Um, but fucking Oral Roberts, like, I just, it's just all these no. schools that you would not be like, they're great. You're like, what,
1: what? What is happening? No, I, it was pretty fun because um, I, like I said, I'm home for the week. Uh, my parents are moving, which that sounds like a really big deal, except for, like, this is... They moved every year I was in college. So, <laughs> it's like, this is just very normal for us. And I had to clean out a bunch of stuff in another attic, and it was just easier to find me home. Anyways, my mom went to Drake. I went to Drake for a year. That's where Ashley and I met. And so, like, I got off the plane, which, by the way, was a horrible experience that we can get into. Um, and went down in our basement and like my mom and i don't really share any sports teams like she's a big baseball fan and i'm not really and she doesn't really watch hockey so we are both screaming at the tv the entire game and she's like texting her drake friends and i'm texting ashley and it was just like my dad's like this is a really weird experience (laughs) i'm not sure how i feel about
0: this (laughs) my dad was so pumped because all these people came out of the woodworks on friday to like text him and be like oh my god you guys made it and like um, I think because they know how diehard he is. Yeah. And it's so fun. And like they just had. it was a rough season. Obviously, Corona has made things difficult. And when they got it, they were out for a while. And so they had to cram all these games into a month. And they mm-hmm. were just tired. two of their best starters. Like I could go on and on because I will defend them till the day I die Um, in the sense that they played so great. And I was bummed about it. But <laughs> it was a weird season, I think, for every college team. Uh, and I'm excited that they're all coming back next year because hopefully we'll go a little further in, in March Madness. But yeah. there was a time. We used to be there quite a bit, and then it, that time stopped. And then so. it stopped. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Correct. But um, I'm glad that you made it off of your plane. You really freaked me the F out when you texted me
1: that what happened, and I was like, what? I mean, I was also – so, like, the quick – Disclaimer, I am like I've been flying since I was 6 months old. Like that was the first plane my parents ever took me on. I'm I don't love flying, but I don't I'm not scared of it. Um this is the only flight I've ever been on where I was like we're not making it. <laughs> like I was so scared. And essentially what happened was is I had a layover in Denver um from LAX to Chicago and so we took off and it, like we weren't in the air for very long at all. And, like, we started having turbulence, which, like, I don't really think much about because it happens all the time. And we hit an air pocket, I guess, is, like, what the captain said. And I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, Because we fell 50 feet. And I watched the entire thing from my window because I was window seat. And, like, people were screaming. Like, we thought we were going down. It was single-handedly the most terrifying experience of my life. And it was so viscerally stressful because this was, like, maybe five minutes into the flight. And I have two and a half hours left that I had not slept the night before because I usually don't when I have to get on a plane at like five in the morning, I just push through and then I'm like, oh, whatever, I'll sleep on the plane. And I didn't sleep on the first plane. So I was like planning to sleep on this one. And it was very unfortunate because the way that it was set up was um, when I got on the plane, I was sitting next to a very cute man uh, with the middle seat free and then like, this massive bodybuilder dude, like, got in and sat in the middle seat, and so I'm, like, squished up against the window because I try very hard not to be perceived and or touched in public places. (laughs) And, um, so I literally was just, like, I just had a trauma response of passing the fuck out. Like, I put my head down on my tree table and was like, I don't even want to be here. (laughs) Like, I don't want to think about this. I, like, put on meditation music and just passed out for two hours, which I think was helpful. And then I got off the plane and I, like, texted Ashley, like, our plane lost altitude. Like, I've never been so scared in my fucking life. And my parents picked me up and I felt so bad for them because I literally got in their car and just burst into tears because I was so just anxious and, like, scared, and it's just not me at all when it comes to flying. Like, I'm very used to this, but that was single-handedly the scariest experience I've ever had in a plane, and I never wanted to happen again. Like, I was terrified, and the the captain was, like, so nonchalant. It was very annoying. (laughs) He was like, sorry, ladies and gents, we just hit an air pocket, and, like, people were screaming. (laughs) Like, Stop. No, <laughs> that's not an yeah, air no pocket. No, thanks, man. I was like, I know what, like, turbulence in an air pocket feels like. And it's like, it's a jump. It's not four seconds of falling. Which, like, again, doesn't sound like a lot until you're falling and watching it happen. And you're like, oh, we're headed towards mountains. I, like, literally sent my mom and I love you text. It was horrible. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it was not a fun trip back, but I'm glad I'm here and like it was fine once I got in the car <laughs> with my parents. I was like cuz they're all vaccinated now, which like makes this a lot more comfy of an experience. <laughs> so yeah. Doing very great. exciting. Yeah, we're very really exciting.
0: really doing great. But I am happy that you're okay. Thank you. You made it home. I did. We're all good. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um I guess kind of transitioning into what we are talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um I so it's like my surprise ever if you're if you're not following along we are doing surprise episodes um but this was an episode that I kind of wanted to give Kelsey a heads up on that we were doing in the sense that um I wanted her to watch some stuff about it mm-hmm. uh and be able to kind of be a little bit familiar with the topic um as we all know uh there has been increased amount of violence on Asian Americans um since corona um and it's been um kind of terrifying um as an asian american um mm-hmm. seeing these horrific things that are happening and just watching the progression over the past year and seeing how it escalated i think was that a week ago or two weeks ago no that's a week ago yeah um and i kind of wanted to talk about some asian american voices um and talk about uh kind of how they've been portrayed in the media um because i think if anything that we've been learning, it's been an outcry from the Asian American community of just like being seen. Um, and I wanted to kind of talk about one of our uh, Hollywood legends this week and kind of dive into some some stuff. And um, I didn't really know how to, to preface that without just kind of um, saying, hey, we're talking about Anna May Wong, which I'm very excited about. She is an icon um, and kind of a trailblazer for the Asian American community. And, um, I'm going to be a little chaotic. I'm going to be kind of all over the place. I have a lot of articles and I want to just make sure I do her justice as well as, um, making sure everything I want to talk about gets covered. And I apologize in advance because I can mention at the beginning, I am kind of tired. So bear with me. Um, but I did have Kelsey watch a video from, uh, I think it was PBS master. Was it masterpiece?
1: Yep. PBS Uh, American masters or whatever. Yep. (laughs) Mm hmm.
0: Which 10 for 10 recommend um, if you want to watch that after you listen to this podcast episode. I think it'd be great. It's Anna Mae Wong, the first Asian-American movie star um, in American Masters series by PBS. It's 11 minutes and I really highly recommend it. Um, And if you're not familiar with Anna Mae Wong, we're kind of going to start, I think, with a little bit of background on her story um, and how uh, she kind of rose in Hollywood. Um, this first article that I'm reading from is directly from Women'sHistory.org. Uh, this is an article written by Carrie Lee Alexander. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna read from the article. Um, Anna Mae Wong was born on January 3rd, 1905, in the Chinatown area of Los Angeles, California. She's the second child of eight children. Her birth name was Wong Lu Song, which means Frosted Yellow Willows. She was given the English name Anna Mae by her family. Her family was originally from Taishan, China but her grandfather emigrated to the United States in the 1850s. He opened a store in California near the area that gold was discovered in 1848. Um, in 1858, Wang's father, Sam Singh, was born in California. Soon after, Singh's father died while he was trying to rescue a woman that fell into a well. Singh returned to China but came back to the United States after his first marriage. Singh married Gonthoy Lee, who was also born in California. The couple opened a laundromat on the North Figueroa Street in Los Angeles. Uh, when Wang was born, the family lived in a really diverse neighborhood, and the children attended California Street Public Elementary School. However, Wang and her older sisters, sister were teased and bullied because of their race. Um, Wang's parents later moved them to the Chinese Mission School in Chinatown, where they were welcomed. Uh, growing up, Wang worked in her family's laundromat and attended Chinese language classes after school. When film production moved from New York to California in the 1910s, Wong started visiting movie sets. She would often skip school and use her lunch money to go to the movies. At the age of nine, she decided she wanted to become a movie star. She came up with her stage name, Anna Mae Wong, at the age of 11 by combining her English and Chinese name. Um, In 1919, a casting call went out for Chinese women in the new film called The Red Lantern, Without her father knowing, Wong asked her father's friend to introduce her to the assistant director of the movie. She was then cast as an extra and was asked to carry a lantern in one of the the scenes. This was Wong's first movie role, but it would not be her last. Um, She continued working as an extra in many movies while still attending school. In 1921, she dropped out of Los Angeles High School to become an actress full-time. In that same year, she landed a role as Toy Ling's wife in the film Bits of Life. Um... She, at age 17, landed her first leading role in The Toll of the Sea. This movie was a silent version of a movie called Madame Butterfly, and one of the first movies made in Technicolor. She continued to try out for lead roles, but she was always cast as a supporting character or as a typical Asian character. Um, I'm going to kind of pause there in this article and talk about the fact that um, she wasn't ever really allowed to play a lead role because of the... uh, 1882, Chis- uh, no, I'm sorry, it was the Hayes Code that MGM started enforcing, which banned misogynation or sexual relations between white people and Asians. So she could never be the love interest if there was a white man ca- uh, cast as the lead playing an Asian man um, because they couldn't kiss on scene. Um, she was also facing, kind of growing up, a lot of uh, anti Chinese sentiment. Um, in 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act, which is the only immigration act to target a group by name, was enacted. Um, And so it's kind of a hostile environment for Asian Americans. um, And pretty, pretty not great. Uh, She, in that breakout role she had, um, she was very stereotypical, kind of, very sexualized. And it was not... Great. And uh, in The Thief of Baghdad, she had a small part as a Mongol slave, but it received a lot of attention because she was barely clothed, sporting only a bandeau top and miniskirt, seemingly fashioned out of silk skirts. And she was beautiful in these roles. She was the height of fashion always. But I think one of the things that they really pushed in these videos that we watched was that she was doing her best to be kind of an, an American, right? She was dating white men, always at the height of fashion, trying to prove that she deserved to be there. Um, mm-hmm. she always was kind of type into these seductive Temptresses' roles and she was really freaking tired of the racial trope of the exoticized Asian women. Um, and it was frustrating for her in America, but also caused ridicule for her in her family home. Um or sorry, her family's home country. Uh, this is from Harper Bazaar. Uh, and they said her role as a sexually available Chinese woman would eventually earn her resentful criticism in China biographer Russell Gao Hodges wrote of the actress per time. Uh, even when she visited China for the first time in 1936, she played faced some backlash, um, which we'll kind of dive into as well. But these tropes that I'm mentioning that you know some people might not know, um, this article from Intertrend really highlights it really well, but there's three separate tropes. There's the um, lotus blossom, the dragon lady, and the Fu Manchu. Um, the lotus blossom, uh, this is from the article, you guys can look it up. It's really good. Um, but it's also sometimes referred to as the China doll. Is a stereotype of Asian women as being passive, docile, and subservient, characteristics that were for the purpose of pleasing a white man. Um, at the same time, they were also cast as being sensual, mysterious, and exotic, something new and unfamiliar to the white male. Um, since the white role of the lotus blossom is to be subservient to whatever the white man needs, she's often hypersexualized as she exists just to please the desires of a white man. Um this kind of shows this in that movie Madame Butterfly. Um, the Dragon Lady falls on the complete other end of the character spectrum in some ways, yet still shares certain traits with the Lotus Blossom. Instead of being docile and subservient, the Dragon Lady is a dominatrix, powerful, manipulative, and seductive. While in juxtaposition to the weak and helpless Lotus Blossom, the Dragon Lady is also hypersexualized again to fulfill white sexual fantasies. The Dragon Lady is strong and in charge, exuding feminine charm and seductive energy, almost toying with the male characters to using her power. Representing two opposite ends of the spectrum, there is little representation of Asian females anywhere in between the Lotus Blossom and the Dragon Lady, especially in the early 1900s Hollywood movies, um, which is around the time, obviously, the anime Wong was. And kind of the the male role for Asians was the Fu Manchu. Um, It was coming from a 1913 series of novels by Sax Romer and the mystery of Dr. Fu Manchu, which revolves around the evil doings of the dastardly villain and evil scientist Dr. Fu Manchu. Um, he repeatedly tries to gain dominance for China and attempts to get it at any means necessary. Um, I think Fu Manchu definitely has a really strong type in, is a very strong terror type that's kind of lasted A very very long time um if you look at the kind of role that a lot of asian men have had to play which is usually some form of evil scientist um Mm -hmm. it kind of gives you some food for thought um i think this article is a really important one that i would really encourage a lot of people to read just because i know we're in a time of learning about asian voices um the art the art who Teresa yuen wrote it and she really i think captures what asian american stereotypes in hollywood um are and she I, I just really liked it. Uh but kind of going back to Anime Wong, she um was really frustrated with the constant discrimination. Um and she went she moved to Europe, uh, where she started many plays and films, including um Piccadilly, The Flame of Love. She also starred in the operetta uh Schoen in Shui, influent German. I think that was so interesting that she taught herself German and French on top of like the languages she already knew yeah. um, to make herself. I mean, she just was such a hard worker and she always was doing the best to um, make herself have some kind of edge above the other. And uh, she also pl- started in the play, a circle of chalk with the really young Lawrence Olivier um, in 1930s, Paramount studios in the United States contacted Wong and promised her leading roles upon her return. Uh, she did return to United States and starred in the Broadway productions of on the spot. Um, And she was still being asked to play these stereotypical roles though. And when the director of the film dangerous to know, asked her to use Japanese marinerisms when playing a Chinese character, she refused. Um, She did later accept a stereotypical role in the daughter of the dragon because she was promised she would be able to appear in a Joseph von Sternberg film. Um, And she later appeared in one of her most famous films, which was Shanghai express with her friend, Marlene Dietrich Um, after this movie in 1932, she spent the next year touring in China She decided that she was going to – if Hollywood wasn't going to show her voice, she was going to take it upon herself. And she uh, started, I think, her own production company. And the film that she did was called My My China Film. And it's her first and only trip to China. And there's this other video that I watched that I thought was super interesting that they mentioned that she always kind of had this feeling of otherness. In America, they deemed her as Chinese even though she was born in L.A. And when she went to China – the way she walked and carried herself, her mannerisms all screamed American. And so she felt mm. also not very welcome there. She loved her trip, but she was saying that she had this sense of otherness. Am I American or am I Chinese? Appar- especially because there is the Asian hyphen American is the way that a lot of us still describe ourselves. Um, And I just relate so much to her and what she's gone through. And I think one of the shittiest things that uh she had to go through is uh she denied the lead in the film the good earth um she revealed in an interview with this is back to the harper's Bazaar* article um she revealed in an interview that mgm wanted her to do a screen test for the role of a concubine even though she had her eyes on the lead of Olan. i'll be glad to take the test but i won't play the part she said per the la times if you let me play Olan, i'll be very glad but you're asking me with Chinese blood to do the only unsympathetic role in the picture featuring an all-American cast portraying Chinese characters. Afterwards, the studio still wanted Wong for the concubine role and cast German actress Louise Rainier as Olan, changing her appearance to make her look Chinese for the film. Wong refused the part Mm. she was offered and Rainier won the Best Actress Oscar for her performance. And that kind of leads to touch on you know, yellow face, um, which is something that people might not have heard as much as black face. Um, yellow face was a really popular trend in movies that were often, um, men and women with prosthetics, their eyes taped up, very overly exaggerated customs of Asian customs and costumes. Um, and it was a a completely different movement of just white people playing Asians and, um, portraying the Asian culture to, uh, America in a very different way. Um, not a great look by any means and still offensive as blackface is, but I think it's important for people to see these things that Hollywood did to show some of the growth that we have done since then. Um But I think kind of, you know, leading to today, there is still so much... <laughs> there's not enough Asian representation in Hollywood currently. Um, I think that is something that a lot of people would agree on. The only two Asian American women to have stars on the Hollywood star of fame, walk of fame, sorry, are Lucy Liu and Anna Mae Wong. And I can't remember who it was that said it, but it was that Hollywood is too tired to find the next Lucy Liu. I mean, we've had all these great films, crazy, rich Asians, parasite, um, aquafina had a huge couple past years, but, um, her film The Farewell was nominated for, I think it was an Oscar or whatever award, but under the foreign film section, even though mm-hmm. it was here, but because their reasoning was that they spoke Mandarin. Well, there's been plenty of other movies that have been nominated for that, that spoke German or some kind of other language, but we're still a regular film, not a foreign film. Um, and there's so much way that we have to come. And, you know, this over-sexualized way that Hollywood views um, Asians. I mean, you know, you look at some of the roles, I mean, in Kill Bill or all these things, and it's still there. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's kind of disheartening. And I think um, there was such an anti-Asian American sentiment that I think people kind of gloss over in our country's history. I mean, the fact that they had the 1882 Exclusion Act, which is the only immigration act to target a specific race by name or culture,
1: mm-hmm. is
0: pretty horrifying. Um and you see this too throughout cinematic history. This is a quote from one of the videos I, I watched. I don't even remember, but it was throughout cinematic history. White women have continually been cast as Asian slash Oriental women. Whereas the racial logic of white supremacy dictates that women of Asian descent like Wong could not portray white women. I mean, you look at who was it? Emma Stone.
1: Yep. I was she, just going to say,
0: <laughs> or shit. Was it the other one? Scarlett Johansson. I don't know there's just, there's so many things that are, are very recent where people are portraying Asian American women that are not Asian. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, back in the day, William Holden was talking to, um, I can't remember what Asian actress at the time, but he was saying, you know, parts are important, but it's the parts that are written specifically for you that are going to help you get further in your career. And Asian women did not have parts specifically written for them that represented them. Um, And Anna Mae Wong was someone who was such a trailblazer and she, I mean, she was the first Asian American actor to lead her own TV show. She retired Mm -hmm. in 1947, but she did return to the screen years later in 1951. She, um, did the gallery of Madame Lou song where she started as a gallery owner and detective. And she was hoping (laughs) to appear in the film, the flower drum, but she did die that year, um, at the age of 55 from a heart attack. Mm -hmm. Um, and you look at her and she just had this beauty and this grace. And she just had such a voice i think the part that's so amazing to me is that she did not she stepped away from hollywood when they refused to show how she should have been portrayed on screen and moved to europe to do her own thing and get roles that she could actually be a leading lady um and for someone you know i'm, I'm half vietnamese and uh the sense of otherness that they describe that she felt in not fitting in either world is something that i've always kind of struggled with um you know, I've just, uh, seen a lot of things. Um, I have experienced some racism in my life and racism, and I understand others have experienced more racism, but I think, um, with everything that's been going on in this country more now than ever, I think we need to lift up Asian American voices. Um, Daniel Day Kim, uh, just spoke before, um, uh, Congress congressional hearing and uh he had some lines in there I sent the video to Kelsey because I was like he's like nailing it um, yeah I highly
1: recommend you look it up after this episode <laughs> it was
0: so so good and he talks about um I, let me see if I can find the quote where he talks um let me see um he I mean I, I don't know if I can find it but basically he talks about the feeling of invisibleness that Asian Americans feel because <laughs> don't get it twisted the racism that they have been facing that has only been ri- rising because of corona um, they've always experienced racism and there's always been horrible things where we feel like we're not a voice i mean you as a race are just not really considered a minority or it's it's just it's that sense of otherness i think that Asians particularly struggle with and um, you know just kind of getting up to a modern spark Daniel Day Kim discussed um, that right now in front of our Congress and the House Judiciary Committee, there are two bills. One is the No Hate Act, and the other is a hate crimes bill that covers a number of items that would help the accurate reporting of these kinds of hate crimes. And it's important that we do everything we can encourage people to give the accurate representation of the depth and breadth of the problem. Um, it's not like I'm trying to say that, you know, Asian Americans have a a harder experience than any other minority experience in America. That's definitely not what I'm saying. But each minority has their own individual, you you know, (sighs) struggle, I think, um, in this country. And, you know, watching and learning about Anna Mae Wong, I just was like, it's amazing to me that she started her career in the early 1900s and yet... So many Asian Americans in Hollywood are still facing the same kind of issues that she did mm-hmm. um and that you know if a role was written for a white woman, an Asian or you know any other minority won't be considered. It's only white and I mean you even look at like superheroes um Iron Fist if you are familiar, <laughs> is this like badass white guy who embraced a lot of Asian culture and was given these powers from these monks or whatever I don't remember the com- the background super well, but he is a white man that thrived off of Asian culture. And like, he's a super big, he's a, he's a comic book hero. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, why couldn't that have been an Asian person? Like, why couldn't we have made that a, an Asian person? And, you know, I remember, um, the high, I was so excited. My brother and I loved when black Panther came out. It was such an exciting time. Um, but we were like, do you think we're going to ever get a, Like an Asian superhero movie? Like, do you think that would, that, cause that would be really cool. You know, like we are so excited for this milestone, um, for the black community, but we were kind of like, but. You know, I would love to see some other minorities featured too. You know, but um, yeah, I feel like I've been rambling, and you can hop in at any time. But I guess, what are your, some of your takeaways from kind of like what I've been I've been putting out there?
1: No, I mean, I think first of all, you've done such a good job in just sort of presenting um, kind of not only the icon that is Anime Wong, but also just sort of touching on how. Asians in Hollywood are portrayed Um, and something that like really got brought back to me when I was watching the documentary you sent me is when I was in school for screenwriting um, I remember somebody asked a question of what should we do if we have a character of a different race in our script because it is not necessarily um, common for when you're describing a character to describe their race. And um, as someone who, like, very selfishly has always seen herself on television, um, I've really tried to uh, make the casts that I write about more like my friends, um, who I'm very lucky to have friends of all different walks of life, Ashley included. And... The answer that our professor gave was, like, kind of fucked up. <laughs> it was like, um, you know, make sure that they are wearing certain traditional dress. Or make sure that they have a traditional name. Or, you know, p- make sure you have something that is pointed so far to their culture that if it ever gets in front of executives, the executives can't say, oh, well, why don't we cast a white person? Um which really bugs me, <laughs> because in my mind, I think that every single script should, A, we should hold, you know, screenwriters and filmmakers and everyone to a standard of diversity. And it's why I think, like, um, another thing that I'd love to point out is the Oscars diversity standards, which are coming in in the next couple of years, which I hope will help, but they've already caused so much backlash, it's absurd, But I think for me, I'm like, I want to see, you know, scripts that reflect all different types of cultures and all different types of people. And it shouldn't be me as the screenwriter having to specifically point out culture to make that happen. Um, I've literally just started putting the race of the character in the description. I don't really care (laughs) because in my mind, I would want certain characters to be Played by black actors and actresses, I would want certain characters to be played by Asian, you know, actors and actresses, and I think that as writers we have a responsibility to do that. And it kind of goes back to what you were talking about with the farewell, being considered a foreign language film, as well as Minari, that was a big one this year. Um, where people kept saying, oh, you know, it's the foreign language film. And yeah, I got nominated for Best Picture, but it's like, it was American to begin with. (laughs) Like, it's literally a story about an American family. Like, I, it's absurd. And so I think the difference becomes our kind of ability as a society to sometimes overlook or kind of not acknowledge the Asian American community as being anything other than white because your skin color is closer to ours. And that to me is so tough to see um, because I know we've had discussions, especially like when it comes to political polling demographics of how Asian Americans aren't counted sometimes (laughs) in polling demographics. And that to me is kind of unacceptable. I mean, we live in a world where obviously (laughs) Our country is not the most stable when it comes to realizing what racism is, what racism is, and what racism isn't. Um, but there are steps that we can take in our own everyday lives and our own everyday kind of professions that are small, but will make a difference in the long run. You know, it, it's just a hard topic, and maybe I'm rambling too much. But I think I can come at it from a Hollywood standpoint of. As writers, people need to be better. As filmmakers, people need to be better. And certainly the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and the Academy really need to get their shit together because um, this is no longer a business that the world wants to be run by old people. Um, You know, we need to be able to see sort of every side and every facet of things. I don't know. Maybe I'm rambling. What are you No, I think killers? it's true.
0: I think, you know, Hollywood definitely has recently kind of been making good moves, right? Mm-hmm. Crazy wish Asians, um, lifting up Asian American actors. But I think, you know, Charles Melton had this piece that he wrote where he said he was afraid of of um I don't know if it was retribution and I'm I'm struggling to remember, but basically he was like afraid to like own his Asianness. Mm-hmm. Um and I, that was something that I related to a lot when I was younger, I um, really wanted to just be like American, right? Like I just was like, well, you know, like I, I never really cared about my culture and celebrating my culture until I got older. And I was like, man, you know, I am proud of where I came from. I learned more of my mother's family's story and how they came here and, you know, just what they, what they went through to make sure that like the next generation of their family would be well taken care of and I have so much more of an appreciation for my grandparents as I've gotten older because I've learned about the sacrifices they made to come to this country Um, and I think one of my biggest frustrations that I've had is that Asian Americans have never really been celebrated in in Hollywood until recently um, or you know any of the violence that they've experienced the media doesn't talk about Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying, you know, like we deserve to have more coverage than other minorities. What I'm saying is, is that we just need to start covering all things that happen in the country for regardless of race. You know, I think, um, there has always been a perception of Asian people and, um, a lot of people think that there isn't any violence or racism towards them. And that's clearly not true. I mean, all these actors that are stepping forward with stories and jeremy lynn i remember when he first came on the scene everyone i mean i was so excited to see an asian basketball player in the nba i was like heck yeah like mm-hmm. it's about freaking time and when he's killing it for the knicks <laughs> a new york times reporter describes his headline as there is a c word in the armor and mm. i was like what like how how could you not know that that's not okay um And, you know, he recently came out with saying that when he's been playing, people call him coronavirus. And I understand that the phrases Kung flu and China virus are aimed at the government. But like that's the Chinese government. But that creates this stereotype for all Asians that they go through. That's kind of horrifying. Right. And it's created this and not just that, but just like everyone blaming Asia for this um, pandemic that we're going through. And taking it out on Asian Americans who have lived here for probably a good amount of their lives. And yet, you know, the things that they are going through and what these women went through in Atlanta just because of some man's sexual desires. And we're talking about Anna Mae Wong, who was so frustrated with the over-sexualization of her culture and -hmm. the role she was getting offered. We haven't changed since, what, 1930, 1920? It's 2021 and this shit is still happening of the over-sexualization of Asian women. And I don't mean to get on like my little, my podium here, but I'm just trying to say is that like the media needs to be better at reporting Asian American stories and Asian American violence. And like, you know, I I have talked to to Kelsey before about, I don't really think social media warriors do anything. It's something that we both agree on. Um, But I started posting a lot when some of this shit was happening earlier on in the year and I, simply because I wanted people to know, I wanted people to realize, to know what's happening to these Asian Americans across our country. And I had some really great conversations with some friends that were like, hey, what's going on? And we, we talked about it and they're like, man, I had no idea. And that inspired them to follow these accounts and to follow, you know, like news and things like that, to get themselves educated about what's happening with American, Asian Americans. Um, and Because of that, too, like, I have been posting a lot about what's been happening. Um, And I usually, uh, once again, like I said, I don't really care for that. But as a community, we are just crying out for people to lift up our voices because it doesn't feel like we're
1: supported. Um, Well, and I think one thing that we kind of brought up together when um, sort of the media started covering it a couple months ago is, like, you were not surprised by anything that was going on other than it wasn't being covered. Mm -hmm. And I think that was when it really, like, kind of made it feel so much more painful. Um, Is that, like, we can pretend that posting a black square or yellow square is going to make a difference. But at the end of the day, what's going to make a difference is, you know, seeing these things, talking about them, and making changes in ourselves. Like... And I think when you say like, I I mean, I've definitely learned a lot from you over got our almost decade long friendship now <laughs> um, that I don't think I would have learned had genuinely I not just shut up and listened. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think there is something to be said for sometimes we just have to shut up and listen to the ones who are in pain and listen to what they're saying and also, you know, I'm very much a um. fan of, like, you know, do your own research. Like, I should not be coming to you asking questions about your community that I can Google, you know. But
0: mm-hmm. at the
1: same time, being cognizant of what's going on and being smart enough to know, like, hey, just because... Hollywood makes films and all that does not mean that they don't make an impression does not mean that you know little girls aren't watching these films not seeing people who look like them and maybe this is just because it moved me when and you don't have to talk about it but when you talked about seeing Kelly Marie Tran on the red carpet and how like important that was for you like it almost made me cry <laughs> just because it's like I want that to be everyone's experience you know
0: absolutely I actually sent that picture to my mom um mm-hmm. because she just, she never watched I mean I don't think she was a big Star Wars fan um and I was like hey like there's this actress she's Vietnamese um and she kind of had to go under the ra- I'm sorry I, you know I was explaining Kelly Marie Tran's story and how to, she kind of had to go under the radar for a couple of years because of the relentless bullying she faced and mm-hmm. racist comments she faced and anyways I was telling her I was like you need to look at her um red carpet though because it just was such a cool moment and I sent her the outside picture and she was just like oh my gosh like that's beautiful it's stunning and we were just kind of gushing over how it was so exciting to see a Vietnamese woman um be lifted up and celebrating and also celebrating her heritage on the red carpet um you know kind of going back to Anna Marie Wong and how the costumes of her the movies that were presented of her culture were so like, dramatic and mm-hmm. kind of like a gaudy way. This moment of Kelly Marie Tran was dramatic and a beautiful and like it, it was just such an amazing moment to see it. Cause I, I haven't, I was, I not one nearly as beautiful as that one. Um, and I was like, man, I grew up, you know, wearing those, um, my mom would get me some when I was younger and, um, I have one as an adult and it was just so, amazing to see you know and (laughs) this is also kind of cheesy but not just off of kelly marie tran but um i was so excited when that show fresh off the boat was a Mm -hmm. tv show um because we have all different types of you know the the american family on tv and uh fresh off the boat while they're um not you know of, of half culture like i am there were so many moments that these kids and I was like, Oh my God, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, it was just these things that I was like, man, like I relate to like the way that these kids grew up. And, um, I think especially the first season when they're all so young and, you know, Eddie just wanting to fit in with his kids, like his friends and be like, mom, I just want some Lunchables, you know, or just things that he goes through. And I, I just remember it, um, so, so vividly. And, um, yeah I just these stories that when they are highlighted mean so much to so many people uh that I I hope that we kind of keep moving forward and and I am so happy that Kelly Marie Tran is back like kind of on the Hollywood scene Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah I am really excited about the future for Hollywood and Asian American representation. Um, I'm thinking, you know, I, I remember when we did our Crazy Rich Asians episode, I was so hyped for what's to come. And I, I hope that there's more to come, um, you know, with actresses like Aquafina, Kelly Marie Tran, Constance Wu, Gemma Chan. There's so many other ones that haven't been discovered yet that I am excited to see. Um, and I also kind of want to say, you know, Kelsey and I are always like, you know, when it comes to supporting groups, put your money where your mouth is,
1: mm-hmm. and I wanted to
0: just kind of highlight a couple organizations that you could donate to. Um, I took sh- this is an article on sided or, or I'm sorry, Cultures.com, um, and if you want, you can click on the links. But there's the Center for Asian Pacific American Women. Um, this group is creating a safe space to nurture trust within their communities of uh, Asian American women. There's uh, Apex for Youth, which its goal is to deliver possibilities to underserved Asian. Am- and immigrant youth from low income families in New York city. Um, there's Asian American advancing justice. There's the Asian American advocacy funds. There's so many things, so many organizations out there that are trying to help lift up Asian American voices and people in this country that would really appreciate any kind of financial donation. Um, so I would really encourage you to do your research and find an organization that speaks to you um, that can help the AAPI community. Um, yeah, I've, Sorry, I just kind of <laughs> really went off there. Um, that's all I really have. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to add in there?
1: No, I'm glad you did uh, go off, because I know this is a conversation we've had privately quite a few times, and so it's it's good to sort of get it out in the open. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to add other than I think this was a really good episode. I am really glad you introduced me. <laughs> Uh, to anime wong because she seems kind of like a badass and i definitely am gonna watch her stuff and you know how much i hate old movies but i feel like i wouldn't hate hers so (laughs) i think if you watch it from like where she started and then kind of like right
0: where some of her later roles it'd be a really interesting kind of conversation piece as a screenwriter absolutely to kind of assess and um I mean, I kind of sometimes wish I was in college and I could just pitch like, you should do an Asian American voices class in Hollywood because I feel like that would be fascinating to be in. Um, But yeah, we're going to resume surprise episodes. This is a surprise episode, but I kind of told Kelsey what it was beforehand because I wanted her to know a little bit.
1: (laughs) I'm actually very glad you did. Um, I had a feeling it would probably be something along these lines, but um, it was actually really helpful for me to kind of see, especially the subject that we were going to be talking about uh, beforehand
0: um yeah this is usually when i'd ask what we're doing next week but (laughs) we don't do that anymore uh for now (laughs) if you don't follow us on social media you should be you can find us on twitter and instagram at capital m i m underscore podcast and you can find us on facebook at make it modern podcast
1: i've been ashley and i've been kelsey and we'll see y'all next week